We read that passage of scripture together. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. The servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. When he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. And she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed. Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out and wept bitterly. So far, God's words. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the, the most beautiful things of the Bible is that it gives a very realistic picture of God's leaders. It pictures them as real people with real struggles. If you think about the leaders of God's people that we read about, we can start almost at the very beginning with, with, with Noah, uh, we read in Genesis that Noah was a, a righteous man who found favor in God's eyes, so much so that God destroyed the entire world and kept Noah alive. The very thing that we read Noah doing after he's just been rescued in the ark is planting a vineyard and getting drunk. Or you can think of Abram, a, another great leader of God's people, the founder of Israel. Ah. And yet we also know that he was a man who was filled with fear of other people. When he went to Egypt, um, he was so scared of, of Pharaoh that he made his wife Sarah say that she was his sister. And he didn't only do that in Egypt, he did that um, with the Abimelechites as well. Think of David. In David, twice we read that David was a man after God's own heart. And yet David was a man who also raped Bathsheba and murdered her husband. And today, the passage of Scripture that we have before us is a passage of Scripture where we get to look at another one of God's leaders. We get to look at Peter. And we get to look at Peter in what is perhaps his, his worst moment. If Peter was an old man, he could... He could look back over his life and he could change one thing. If he could just take a time machine and, and jump back and just do one thing differently, Peter would choose to, to come to this moment. Stories in the early church have it that Peter actually couldn't hear a rooster crow without breaking down and weeping after this moment. And while they're just legends, they're stories that come to us, they just show us what a, what a big thing this was. And we get to see Peter here in, in, in his worst moments. 
denying his master, denying his saviour. We're going to look at this passage of scripture under the theme of denial and confession. Denial and confession. Two words that are important when we look at this passage of scripture. That we have them both. And as we read this text, as we read this verses, you can say, well, Pastor Aiden, I can I can see the denial part of it, but where where do you get that confession from? Because we don't actually see Peter making a confession in this text at all, do we? Just a denial, one after the other, one, two, three. But I'd like to point out, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, and if you have them open, that Matthew has actually structured his gospel in a certain way. It's important that we see this. If we turn back to the beginning of the section that we read together, verse 57, we see Matthew telling his story. And when we read the gospel, sometimes we forget to read them as stories. But these are stories, and, and the gospel writers are a crafting narrative, and they're crafting narrative in, in very powerful ways and in very deliberate ways. And in this passage, what we have is Matthew actually presenting two trials. He's presenting a trial of Jesus, and he's presenting a trial of Peter. And he wants us to understand that our passage is a, is a trial of Peter. And he does this by, in verse 57 and verse 58, actually introducing to us both Jesus and Peter. It's the first time we see Peter in this, in this sort of narrative scene. He's introduced as um, going into the courtyard. And then what Matthew does is he allows us to step into Jesus' trial, and we see Jesus in his trial and Jesus' trial is broken down into three sections. There are three escalating challenges that Jesus has to make. We see the first challenge comes with um, a bunch of people giving a false testimony against Jesus, verse 59. And then it escalates. Two people come forward and they give a particular false testimony that Jesus is able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the final challenge that Jesus faces is from the high priest, and it's this direct question. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And there Jesus makes the confession. Now, as a result of him making the confession, we see him beginning his humiliation. He's slapped, he's spat upon, and he is struck. And then we jump into this other trial, the trial of Peter. And again, Matthew has structured it in a similar way. We have Peter, and he has to give a confession. First, it's just before a slave girl. Then it's before some, some bystanders who are listening in. And finally, it's a bunch of bystanders coming to Peter directly. We see there that Peter, he, he denies Jesus. He denies Jesus again, and he denies Jesus a third time. Each time his denial escalates. And so when, we, when we're looking at this denial of Peter, we have to see that this is the, the, the second of two trials. First the trial of Jesus, then the trial of Peter. And while Peter denies Jesus, Jesus makes the good confession. 
And so when we see Peter in his denial, what we're meant to do then is go back to Jesus and have a look at Jesus again and see Jesus even more clearly. This is a passage of Scripture. We could say the trial of Peter must be read in conjunction with the trial of Jesus. We don't get a a picture of Peter in in his brokenness just for us to look at Peter, maybe commiserate with Peter, maybe empathize with Peter, maybe in your heart judge Peter. That's not why we're given this passage of Scripture. We're given it to go back to Jesus Robert McShane, he's a, he's a preacher from the late 1800s. If any of you, I'm not sure if anyone does this anymore, but if any of you have a read the Bible in one year plan, um, great idea to do. If any of you have a plan like that, that you follow reading the Bible in one year, it goes back to this guy, to Robert McShane. Um, and he has this, he has this quote that he's really well known for. And the quote is, for every look at yourself, Take 10 looks at Christ. And that's where we sort of get our theme from this morning. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. And this morning we're taking one good look at Peter in his denial. But the purpose for which we're looking at Peter in his denial is so that we can see with ever more clarity that confession that Jesus makes. And so we look at at Peter in his denial. We, We work through our our passage quickly together. The scene, it starts off with a, a servant girl coming up to Peter as he's sitting in the courtyard. And she comes up to Peter. Um, she comes up to Peter personally and she asks Peter. And she says, you were, you were with Jesus, the, the Galilean. She's speaking to, to Peter directly. We see that um, Peter, he, he denies it. He says, what do you mean? Pretends he doesn't even understand the question. I've, I have no idea what you're talking about. Sorry, I'm, I'm just here warming myself. I was a little bit cold tonight, so I came in here. What do you, what, what do you mean? Well, what, do, what do you mean when you say that? And the scene goes on. It, it progresses. Another servant girl sees Peter. This time, Peter, he's moved away from the inner courtyard, from around the fire where he was sitting. Now he's at the entrance, and he's standing there. Another servant girl sees him. She also speaks up, this time not directly to Peter, but to the bystanders, and Peter overhears what she says. She says to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And now Peter, he he denies it directly. No longer does he say, what do you mean? But he says directly, I do not know the man. Jesus of Nazareth, I, I don't know who he is. And you see Jesus, you see Peter's denial getting stronger. This time he he denies it with an oath. <laughs> like, may it be to me and more so if I know him. I do not know the man. And then we move on to that third denial of Jesus, I mean of Peter. Luke tells us that this happens an hour after the second denial. We have the bystanders coming up to Peter say to Peter, certainly you are one of them for your accent betrays you. You drop your, is it you drop your R's, you drop your T's, you say wrath instead of wrath. 
You say says instead of says. You can tell you don't belong here. We don't know much of you. You just sort of showed up here, but you got an accent. We can see that you have an accent. You don't belong here. You must be a follower of Jesus the Galilean because you've got a Galilean accent. We see Peter's denial here. He invokes a a curse upon himself. I'll be damned if I know the man. He begins to swear, not saying not saying swear words, but, but I swear by the temple. I swear by the altar. I swear by all the hair of my head. We see Peter utterly denying Jesus. Do not know him. And then we see God's grace. Grace in the, in the form of a rooster. He puts an end to it just then and there. That's enough, Peter. The rooster crows three times. That's enough. Peter realizes what he's doing. And he goes out. And he weeps bitterly. And here is, here is Peter. In the worst moment of his life. Cut to the heart. We're allowed a little window into this. This morning as we look at Peter, I want to draw out two things in particular when we look at Peter's denial. Two things in particular. The first is that Peter's denial, it's actually before a nobody. Here's Peter. Earlier that evening when he was with Jesus in Matthew 26, He'd been making some bold statements. Matthew 26, verse 33, tells Jesus that if everyone would fall away because of him, I will never fall away. Verse 35, Peter says to Jesus, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Peter's saying, Jesus, if there is this big moment and I'm pulled up before Caesar and, and he's sitting there and he has all of his royal court around him and it's ta-da-ta-da, Peter is standing here and, and, and I'm put on the spot and this is my moment and I have to choose, will I deny you or will I not deny you? I will never deny you, Jesus. And then in our text, we see Peter. And Peter is before a servant girl. And the Greek, quite literally, is before one little servant girl. Not the big, not the big ta-da moment that Peter was talking about, but just in front of one little servant girl. And we see Peter denying Jesus. Something for us. I can remember being in, in elementary school and our teacher reading to us kids a story of a Muslim girl who was tortured for her faith, put battery acid on her hands. She had some tattoos on the, of, of the cross, I think on her wrist. They burnt them out and they continued to torture her to see if she would deny her Savior, and, and, and she didn't. And I remember as a class we were all sort of, struck by this, as, as you would be. And we're all asking, well, what would we do in that situation? 
What would we do? Would, would we deny Jesus? Would we stand up for Jesus? Would we have the courage? We're not put in those sort of moments, are we? Instead, we're put in these, these little small moments. These little moments where we have a huge responsibility to testify, a huge responsibility to, to speak up about who Jesus is. At work, no one's going to pour battery acid on us, but they might laugh at us. They might, they might mock us. They might exclude us if we don't speak up for Jesus. At school, sorry, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing that because I believe in Jesus, because I love Jesus. It's actually in, in small moments in life where we have to testify to Jesus' name. And it's in these small moments in life that it's not only in our words that we have to testify, but also our actions. Because there's actually two places in the Bible where, where Peter denies Jesus. Both are small little times. This time in front of the servant girl, he denies Jesus by his words. But there's another place where Peter denies Jesus by his actions. We read about that in Paul's letter to the Galatians. There, Peter He's received that vision from God that he's allowed to eat with Gentiles and he's allowed to eat unclean food. So off Peter went and he would eat with Gentiles and he would eat pork and he'd eat shellfish and he'd eat all of this good stuff until some friends of his came from Jerusalem. And when they came, he said, you know what? I'm no longer going to be sitting with you Gentiles. I can't do that. I'm just going to be hanging out with my Jewish friends down here. No longer can I be with you. It's denying Jesus by his actions again in a small situation, a small setting. And yet Paul stood up to Peter to his face. Sometimes think it's these, these small moments that we're given to testify about Jesus that we, that we overlook. His parents, his mums, his dads, and you think about it with your kids. You've got, this, you've got this calling to, to be a picture of who Christ is, to be a to use that, that spring imagery, to be a to be a tree who's in bloom, and yet uh, you, you get annoyed at your kids and, and, and you'll yell at them. And you lose your temper at them, you lose your patience at them. And we excuse that. Well, I'm tired, it was a stressful day at work. Being really, 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 really annoying right now. But it's these small moments where we're called to show our kids who Jesus is, where we're called to testify. That's the first thing I'd like us to see. We are called to testify, and it's not in grand and glorious times, but it's in daily life. And as you go out into your week this week, just think about it. Where can I testify? Where can I bear witness? Where has it been that I haven't actually been speaking Jesus' name boldly as I ought, or where is it that I haven't been showing who Jesus is as I ought and I've been hiding behind something else? I'm sure we all have areas of growth right there. That leads to the second thing that I'd like us to see as we meditate on this text, and that is that there is actually absolutely no downplaying of Peter's denial. There's no justifying Peter here. There's no rationalizing what Peter has done. We just leave Peter and we leave him weeping bitterly. And that's the last we read of Peter in Matthew's Gospel. That's where we leave him. 
bitterly weeping. We don't read anything rationalizing what Peter is, is doing. You see, I think if we were to, to interact with Peter or if Peter came to us with, with tears in our eyes, we'd probably point out to the fact that Peter was in a bit of a difficult place. It was a bit of a hostile environment. It's understandable that you're not going to be ready to testify about Jesus here. Or maybe we'd show Peter that, hey, Peter, you're actually the only one of the disciples that was there at this point. Everyone else had run away from Jesus. You had good intentions coming in. And you even stuck around for for hours here while you waited to see what would happen to Jesus. But there is no rationalizing or excusing Peter. Instead, Peter's tears are not dried by looking at himself in a better light. But Peter's tears as he grieves are dried by looking at the cross. For every one look that you take at yourself, take a look at the cross. And that's where our gaze is, is meant to be brought away from Peter and, and, his, and his failure in his trial to bear witness to Christ, away from that and instead back to Jesus. We're meant to look at Jesus as he makes his confession. And we don't have time in this worship service to take ten looks at Jesus, so we're just going to take two looks at Jesus. And we're going to see Jesus in his trial, and we're going to see Jesus making his confession. The first thing that I want us to see as we look at Jesus and we contrast him with Peter and Peter's denial, the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus makes a perfect confession. We see with Jesus, he's standing before the, the high priest and he has, to make a, he has to answer this question and tell us if you are the Christ the Son of God. We see that Jesus' confession, it is a perfect confession. He says to the high priest, you have said so. Um, It's actually a statement where Jesus is not saying yes, he's not saying no. He's been asked if he is the Christ, the Son of God. And implicit in that question, there's a whole lot of um, political overtones, basically. Um, an answer of yes to that question, Jesus would basically be saying, uh, I am someone who is going to overthrow the Romans. I am someone who is going to establish an earthly Israel because that's what the high priest and the Jewish people were looking at. So Jesus, he says, he, is, he says, you have said so. It is true, but not in the way that you think it's true. But then he goes on to make this, this beautiful confession about his identity as the Christ. He says, I tell you, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What Jesus is articulating here is that he is the divine Christ. He is the Son of God. He is taking for himself the very power and position of God. It's a perfect confession. And in this confession... And Jesus, he is also pointing to one particular aspect of his work as the Christ. When he says that you will see the Son of Man 
seated at the right hand of power. He's actually pointing to his priestly work. We know this from Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, verse 12 and 14, where we read, But when the Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So when Jesus points to himself sitting at the right hand of God, he's pointing to himself as the one who has made sacrifice for sin, as the one who has for all time perfected those who are being sanctified. Think of how that speaks to Peter. The fact that Jesus is making this, this very confession means that Peter is someone, that you are someone, that I am someone who has been perfected for all time. Jesus is making this perfect confession in Peter's place. He's making this perfect confession in our place. We have this theme, denial and confession. We could have as subpoints Peter's denial and Jesus' confession. We could equally well have our theme, denial and confession, and we could have Peter's denial and Peter's confession. Because Jesus here is making confession on behalf of his people. He is bearing the perfect testimony for us and in our place, on our behalf, bearing our penalty for our sins, and so giving us the salvation. And really, that's the only way that our tears can be dried. When we look at ourselves and we look at our past failings, when we look at our past mistakes, when we look at how we have failed to testify about who Jesus is, it's only by looking at Jesus and him making this perfect testimony, him paying the the perfect price for us, that we can truly be comforted. Just one look at Jesus here. I want to briefly have one other look at Jesus in this passage of Scripture as we turn back to Jesus. I'd like us to see here that we have a, a picture of how Jesus relates to us in our struggles. We have a picture of how Jesus relates to us in our struggles. You see, in Hebrews 4, verse 15, we read, It's a really familiar passage. You probably know it, even though you don't know that you know it. We read, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So in Hebrews 4, verse 15, we have that well-known statement. What I'd like us to see is that in our text, we actually have that statement put in picture form. We have that statement as a, as, as a picture. It's sort of like being in Australia and um, you read in this sort of tourism BC website somewhere and that um, you know, they, the spring blooms in BC are beautiful. You read it. That's what 
That's what Hebrews 4 verse 15 is. But here in our text, it's like standing there and actually seeing these, these cherry blossoms in spring, seeing the daffodils come out, seeing the beauty. And that's what our text is. It's the, it's the picture of Jesus sympathizing with us in our weaknesses. It's a picture of Jesus being tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because here is Jesus facing the same temptation as Peter. Not only the same temptation, but he's going, he's going one step deeper. Peter is just before one little servant girl. Jesus stands before the Sanhedrin, the leaders of God's people. And here is Jesus being tempted in the same way, yet not sinning, not failing. Instead, through his testimony, paying the price. And we see the, the great heart of, Peter, of Jesus as he looks at Peter. We see his great heart of sympathy for Peter. For this Peter who has said, I will never fall away. I will not deny you. You see how Jesus' heart actually actually reaches out to this to, to, to this arrogant and this and this this full of himself disciple that he has. You see in Luke twenty two that before Jesus entered into his humiliation, he prays for Peter. Satan has asked to sift you. I have prayed for you that your faith not fail. We see that he prays for Peter. And we see that he that he pays for Peter. He goes on the cross and pays for his sin. And finally in Mark's gospel, also in John's gospel, we see how he restores Peter. In Mark 16 verse 7, the angel directs Mary to go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. We see Jesus sympathizing, caring, a heart not of, of frustration with Peter, but instead a deep heart of love for Peter within his weakness. And so we're given for ourselves a picture of how Jesus relates to us in our weaknesses. I know your struggle. I understand how hard it is. I've been there, but... I didn't fail. I paid the price to come to me. And so we can see how in Hebrews 4, the passage goes on, we can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, we're given this passage of Scripture. We're given this trial of Peter, not so that we can be left focusing on Peter's denial, but so that instead we can go back to Jesus and focus on Jesus' confession. Robert McShane, the full quote that we started with goes like this. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and repose in his mighty arms.
Amen. If you are able, I invite you to rise as we sing together in response to God's word, yet not I, but through Christ in me.